Financial Stewardship Series, this is part five. There are six parts to this, so when this one's done, you're 83.333% through it all. Let me just recap what we've done because, again, it started four weeks ago, plus we had Pastor Adam's ordination. As I'm thinking about that, Pastor Adam did ask me to extend to the church family just how much he appreciated your taking the time to recognize his ordination last week. Uh, his family was thrilled that we took the time to do that as well, and it was nice to meet Adam's family. And so um, he just wanted me to make sure that I say thank you. And for those of you that expressed kindness, not only verbally, but through cards and notes and stuff like that, again, a heartfelt thank you. He really appreciates that. So that was last week. So we're going to go back a number of weeks. The first thing that we talked about when we began the financial series was that God owns us and our stuff. And I think that's really important to focus on as Christ followers. Jesus Christ is Lord. This isn't about our stuff. This is about we belong to Christ. We were bought with the price, 1 Corinthians 6 says, and we belong to him. The second thing we talked about, the fact that money is not evil. It's what we choose to do with it or don't do with it that sometimes becomes the aspect that is ungodly. I reminded you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through the Macedonian churches that it's important, it's preeminent. The most important thing that we can do is give ourselves to God is that he wants us, not our stuff. And then uh, two weeks ago, we talked about debt being debilitating and just the, the debt just sucks the life out of us emotionally and spiritually. It can literally make us sick and that it, uh, it confines us and put us into bondage and God doesn't want that for us. And then today I'm going to finally answer the question. I don't know how closely you track with me on some of the wording and some of the phrases I use or what I say all the time, but I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was eventually going to answer the question how much should we give according to the Bible and not according to Brent? Although I have been accused sometimes of usurping the Bible. True story. I love, I love transparency. And because my life is one fun thing after another, I love to share this stuff with you. So um, this happened a number of years ago. I'm going to say eight or nine. So as you can imagine, I'm in my office minding my own business, right? That's not hard to believe, right? First part's not hard to believe. I'm in my office minding my own business and um, I get an email from a gentleman in the church just so that we're all candid here. He no longer goes here, so I'm feeling really confident sharing this with you today. I'm strutting like a rooster, right? So... Um, I get an email from a gentleman that went to the church that begged to differ with something I preached the week before. And it, was, uh, it had to do with stewardship. It had to do with the practice of tithing. And so I get this, you know, half, three-quarter page email from him. And, uh, you know, he's basically telling me my theology's off and, you know, he's not happy with me. And then at the end, as all bullies do, he puts in it, but I guess you wouldn't want to address this with me personally, would you? And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you're any man, you'd have picked up the phone or come in to see me, not send it with an email. A lot of people got keyboard courage, right? 
So anyways, uh, I fought that instinct to do that. And I, I, uh, I sent it back an email. I said, I'd love to dialogue with you about this. And so we did. We had a, a dialogue. We talked about it. We went back and forth. I don't know if I won him over. But the good news is that we eventually got to, to talking about it. Now, I say that to say this. One of the things that we deal with when we're talking about stewardship, when we're talking about finances, when we're talking about giving, it's visceral. You say, well, what, what does that mean? That means that it is something that we feel very strongly about. It is amazing. It could have been that when I mentioned six, seven weeks ago that I was doing a financial series, some of you tightened up in here. And you're thinking, oh, is he really going to talk about that? I hate it when he talks about that stuff. Sometimes it's just that we think, we had, well, maybe church isn't the place to talk about money or giving or stewardship, which is weird. Uh, and other times it's just like it's, it's a little bit of personal conviction. We know that we're not doing what God's calling us to do. And we probably know that we could choose to do better. And we don't want to be reminded about that. We just kind of want to leave, you know, the sleeping dog lie. Well, I want to wake the dog up today. So we're going to do that. You ever notice in a restaurant these days when you get your receipt, it has the recommended tip? I think 10% has gone the way of the dodo bird. And it usually is like now 15, 20, or 25. And those of you that have worked in restaurants and in that business, you know lots of times you, you earn it. But it's the, the suggested recommendation. If you've got a group of six or more, it says what? You're going to get, you're going to get charged 18% minute on the bill. It's just going to be there, 18%. And then you sit there and you think about the service you got. And I mean, in some places give you great service. And you're, you're happy to give 15, 20, or 25% because it's just great service. I'm happy to do that. And then other times, the service isn't so great, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I know what the paper says, but the, but the service I got today is not deserving of that. And so it gets to that point of, well, I really don't want to be told what to do. I want to make up my own mind what I want to do. And that attitude can happen when we're dealing with the issue of, of of tithes and offerings and alms and financial stewards. Sometimes they say, Pastor, you know what? Just leave it up to us. We're going to decide what we're going to do. So the discussions, even amongst believers, about money and stewardship and debt can be, as I said earlier, quite visceral. Not just touching the intellect, but going right in here as well. It's not just about the teachings of the Bible, but money talk does tend to get us right there. It becomes an emotional thing for us. Christ followers, however, should do their best to walk in obedience to the teachings of the Scriptures because the Scriptures are our guide for all things. Not just some things, but all things. However, we know that there's often confusion about what the scriptures teach 
And as I said to you earlier, there are people even in the church that feel that it's this or it's that, that pastors talk too much about this and not about that. But basically what the guy told me, that guy that sent me the email, and eventually we got into a discussion about it, was it's up to me. I'll give what I want when I want. There's no real biblical direction about these kinds of things. And when there is biblical direction, people like that fellow felt like, well, it's all under the law and it doesn't apply to me anymore. So, I'm going to try to, to be, hang on, balanced. I'm going to try to be balanced, give you as much information as I can in the next little while to help you make what I hope is an informed biblical decision. So let's deal with some of the stuff. Let's deal with some of that, well, where do we get to the point where how much should we give as Christ followers? Is there a number or a percentage or something? Is there some principle out there? The Old Covenant teachings about giving, as we know them under the law, say some pretty specific things. And one of the things that we notice in the New Covenant is that the New Covenant doesn't, doesn't seem, doesn't appear to be as specific. And then, of course, we also understand that there's some pre-Old Covenant stuff as well. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in Genesis that isn't under the Mosaic Law as well. And perhaps because that is Scripture, it should be weighed. So we understand we're New Covenant folks the new covenant in Jesus' blood. We know that we're not bringing in cows and goats and doves for offerings. And the usher said, thank you. <laughs> There's places I could go with that, but I'm just going to let it be, okay? The church is church, not Israel. Should we consider Abram's giving as directive in any way as we go all the way back in Genesis, and is there any form of precedent or directive for us or principle for us? And again, I think all of us as New Covenant believers are very much interested in what Jesus had to say and what the old, uh, pardon me, and what the New Covenant teachers had to say as well, like the Apostle Paul. So I've, I'm giving you some scripture verses there. And uh, if you can just go to the next one for me, Nick. There's some scripture verses there for you. Because I can't cover it all in, in, in 35 or 45 minutes. There's, there's just no way. But I've given you some pre-Old Covenant, some Old Covenant, and then some New Covenant teaching there for you to hopefully again give you balance as we, we look at what the Scriptures say to us. The first place that we really hear about giving is found in Genesis 14 and 20. And it has to do with the story of Abram. He, he isn't yet the father of, of anybody. And he's in a battle, and he wins a battle, and they have, you know, all of this stuff that they win in the battle, the booty, so to speak. And the Bible tells us that at that time, Abram gave 10% of all that he had to Melchizedek, uh, the, the chief priest. A little bit later on, in Genesis 28 and 22, his, his son Jacob, pardon me, not his son, but his grandson Jacob says to him, uh, says to God in, in Genesis 28 and 22, that he too will give 10% of all that he has to God. And there's some context to that about God blessing 
Jacob. In the Mosaic Law, as we're looking at uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy especially, there's lots of places that the tithe, and the tithe means 10%, that the tithe is taught, that the, the people of Israel were taught to tithe, to give 10% of, of their agricultural, their, their, their livestock produce. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, and Leviticus chapter 27, and Malachi 3 are, are three great reference points about what they're supposed to give, how they're supposed to give it, and the blessing of God that will flow from it. In my research, and I, I mean, I knew some of this a little bit from just my training, my pastoral training, but it's interesting that the Mosaic Law doesn't just teach a first tithe. It teaches a second tithe, and it also teaches a third tithe. And nobody in the church said amen to that. In the days of the temple in Jerusalem, the second tithe involved the setting aside of one-tenth of a specific agricultural produce during the first, second, fourth, and fifth years of their seven-year sabbatical cycle for the purpose of taking it to the holy city. The third tithe, sometimes referred to as the poor man's tithe or the poor tithe, this, this reflects an obligation to set aside one-tenth of the produce grown in the third and sixth years of the seven-year sabbatical cycle for the benefit of the Levites and the poor. Interesting stuff. As you dig into it, there are other things that we, that we would consider if you were a, a Jew during those days. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus, when referring to the things that the chief priests and the teachers of the law did as it represented their, their external worship, talked about their tithing of their mints and their spices. And you know that I've focused on that in the past, and I've talked to you about our spice drawer at our house, that that would be an impossibility at our house to figure that out, because it's all over the kitchen. But Jesus never told them to stop tithing their mint and their cumin and those kinds of things. He said, do, do those things. But what he then went on to say is that the, the teachers of the law and the religious people, they had heart issues. They didn't really have a heart that, that beat for God. And they didn't really care about the people of Israel. Oh, they were good at all the external worship things. But they weren't very good at the eternal stuff, the, st the internal stuff, the stuff that perhaps mattered more to God. So Jesus says, look, it's good that you do that. Don't stop doing that. But also understand it's the internal matters that touch us the most. So in Genesis 14 and 20 and, and, and Genesis 28 and 22, we have Abram and Jacob tithing, giving 10% of their income or their increase or their stuff, however you want to refer to that. In Deuteronomy 14 and Leviticus 27 and Malachi 3, it says that the people of Israel were commanded to give a tithe or a tenth for the reasons given. To honor God in worship and to provide food for the priests and the Levites who didn't have land to work and of course also to take care of the poor. And Matthew 23 and 23, Jesus doesn't tell the people to stop tithing. He just reminds them to do the hard things, the internal things, and not just the external things. And in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, 
God tells the people of Israel to bring in the whole tithe. He says that they're robbing him when they don't do that. And he says, you know what? I will bless you. God dares them in Malachi 3. He says, put me to the test and I will show you that I will pour out such a blessing that there is no possible way that you could contain it. Because the people felt this. Well, if we bring in the whole tithe, it's going to reduce what we have to use for ourselves. It's going to diminish us. And God says, no, if you trust me in this, I will pour out such a blessing you will not be able to contain it. How many of you would like to receive a blessing from God that you cannot contain? I mean, that's just, of course we would. God has a promise to make you millionaires. If he does, great. I'd like to be your friend. That's not what he's promising. Blessing should not always, should not always be received, even, even in, in these passages of scriptures, as monetarily all the time. God has many other ways to bless us, folks. I tell you, if you gave me a choice between perfect health and $100,000, I'd take perfect health any time. But let's get to the new covenant stuff. I know many of you know some of that old covenant stuff and even the Abraham Jacob stuff. I know you do. This isn't the first time you've heard a sermon something along the line. But I want to take you beyond that to where we should be as new covenant Christ followers as it relates to our giving and how we worship God in our giving. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. That initial stuff, background. You can dig deeper. I gave you the scripture verses so you could take some of those and you could go home and you can dig even deeper. And I expect you to do that. I do not expect you to send me a nasty email, though. Remember, I have staff. That's what they're there for. Think about it, right? If you were in a battle and you had infantry, privates go first you send a corporal you might have a sergeant off to the side saying go this way but pardon me for being vain but the general should be like <laughs> sensitive 2 Corinthians 8 and 70 there awesome I preached a little bit from this passage uh, a few weeks ago, so this is not unfamiliar to you, where the passage, the emphasis was give yourself first to God and then work out the details of your stewardship. Folks, I cannot reiterate that enough. I, I cannot, when I'm done this series, I'm going to begin a new series on discipleship. And one of the things that I really want to emphasize is that, you know, Jesus really needs to be Lord of your life. Jesus needs to be number one. You, you need to be head and, head and tails, head over heels, crazy about Jesus. Jesus, your first and only love. Church is not your first love. And the people in the church should not be your first loves. You shouldn't be leaning on people in the church, and you shouldn't be leaning on your pastor. We're supports. We're happy to be supports. But you need to be head over heels, crazy in love with Jesus. It is amazing that when we're in crisis, 
And this has obviously got nothing to do with today, but let me share this with you. It is amazing that when we're in crisis, we will pick up the phone or we'll message somebody or Facebook somebody and we'll talk their ear off through the week for three, four, five hours and pour out everything that's going on. And if we journaled our prayer life and how much time we talked to Jesus about it, it's nothing or it's next to nothing. But we sure enjoy talking to our friends about it. And I think you talked to your friends not because you were looking for answers to prayer. I think you talked to your friends because you just wanted to talk. And it's borderline gossip, even if it's about yourself. If you're really serious about getting help, you talk to Jesus about it. And the reason why some of us become discouraged in the body of Christ is because our focus is church and church activities and personalities in the church, and it's not Jesus. And then when the wind blows, we goes. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Second Corinthians 8 says, you first give yourself to God. You got to nail that down first. I think if we nailed that down first, we'd have fewer objections to what the rest of the scriptures say. Because we'd have a heart that says, it ain't what I want. It's what the Bible is teaching me. That's what I'm going to do. 2 Corinthians. The Bible says this, that the Apostle Paul is, is encouraging the Corinthian church to continue to give donations to help the Jerusalem church that is in crisis. He reminds them that the Macedonians have done that beyond their ability, he says. And you'll remember some of my wording from a few weeks ago. But then he says to them, he says this, he says, look, I know you guys have all kinds of gifts. You excel in, like, in, in the, the, the spiritual gifts. You, ex, you excel in, in gra at the grace of, of, you know, like prophecy and teaching and this and that. He names a whole bunch of things there that they excel in. And they're all admirable, important things. But then he says to them, as you excel in those things, what does he say? Also see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. Let me read it for you. Verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love. That's awesome. We have kindled, the love we have kindled in you. See to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving. So in, in theological circles, this is always the issue. The Mosaic law has nothing to do with us anymore because it's the new covenant. I would suggest to you that your theology, your foundation, if that's it, is faulty. The Bible tells us that on a theological level, the law, the Mosaic law, the, the, the moral part of the law, you know, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not, those, those are put in place to lead us to Christ. The goal of them was to lead us to Christ. Uh, you would look at those things, don't lust, don't steal, don't do this, and you'd say, okay, you know what? Uh, uh, as as, as a, a person of the nation of Israel, I really don't want to do any of the things that God doesn't want me to do, and I want to do all the things that he wants me to do. And the law makes it very clear. But what you find as an Israelite back in those days, that although up here you say you want to do it, you find it hard to do. Your flesh isn't working with you. 
and you find it hard to do those things. The law says do them or don't do them, and it's like, hmm. So the whole idea of that is there's supposed to be a spiritual tension where you get to the point where you realize, I need help. And under the old covenant, the help was this. Well, there are sacrifices given to atone for the sins. Even though you're trying hard not to sin, you do sin, but we got sacrifices to cover for that. And at the end of the day, an Israelite would have to say, I'm doing my best, I'm offering sacrifices, and I'm going to have to trust God for the rest, because I can't do it. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by God's faithfulness. The same principle is brought through in the New Testament. There is no difference. Old covenant, new covenant, justified by faith. In the old covenant, they didn't know there was a Christ, but they were justified by what they did and who they believed in, that God would take care of the rest. Under the new covenant, with the clear revelation of Jesus Christ being offered as a propitiation for our sins, we look to Jesus to take care of the rest. But we also have now, as New Covenant believers, the Spirit of God working in us that they didn't have back under the Old Covenant. So we actually have the Holy Spirit living within us. That passage where I quoted earlier from 1 Corinthians 6, that you're not your own, that you're bought at a price, at 1 Corinthians 6, as it keeps going on, it says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. You are the naos. The Greek word is naos. You are the naos of God. He lives within us. So we got God in us helping us. Not just a new truth and a new revelation, but we've got God living within us. And so the Bible often refers to that. The Apostle Paul is one of his greatest proponents of this. Is talking about the grace of God that is working in us. The supernatural ability of God working in us. What is the purpose of grace? Grace has a couple of purposes. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God is demonstrated that he would, a, 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 sinless, a, a sinless God, would die on the cross in our place. And we are justified by grace through faith. We believe that. God's grace has come into our life to make salvation possible for us. Grace also speaks to the activity of God. We talk about spiritual gifts in the Bible. In the Greek word, gifts is, is many times translated charis. Charis or grace. And they are grace gifts. I mean, we, which means we don't get them because we're super spiritual or super wonderful or super cute. We get them because God, God just decides to give certain people gifts. And he chooses and you might even sometimes look at a certain person with a certain gift and say, well, why would God give that gift to that person? I don't even think they're that spiritual because they're grace gifts. They're not given on merit. At the same time, in 2 Corinthians 8, grace means this. It's a supernatural God-given spirit ability. How did the Macedonian church outgive the Corinthian church even though they had extreme poverty? It's because they had the grace of giving. Somehow the Macedonians trusted God to help them give beyond what their spreadsheet said that they should be able to give. And God multiplied it and increased it and enabled them to do better than what they thought they could do. So Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he says, you already understand grace. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've got all kinds of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church, and you know you guys don't deserve them. Like, let's be honest, folks, just between us, Corinthians aren't here right now. There's some things in the Corinthian church, those guys are messed up. Messed up. 
And yet, spiritually speaking, my goodness, the gifts of God were flowing wonderfully. But then, he, but then God has a wonderful way of doing this where he takes his finger and he doesn't pat us on the back for all the great things that we're doing all the time, but he takes his finger and he touches sometimes the one place that we're not doing great at. And he says, Brent, let's talk about your giving. Oh, you exceed in speech and in knowledge, and you're enjoying the love that has been kindled in your heart. But Brent, let's talk about giving. I know, Brent, you'd like to talk about all the other great things that you're doing and how wonderful it is being you. But Brent, let's talk about giving. Oh, God, let's talk about anything with that. Anything with that. But here's the thing, Brent, just as you excel in those other grace gifts, guess what? You can excel in the grace of giving as well. In fact, I want to encourage you to challenge you to excel in the grace of giving. Now look at that passage in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Now, if you keep reading, I want you, because you guys are smarter than me, there's a collective smart here, I want you to tell me when he shows them how to do that. Go ahead, I'll just, I'll stand over here. Is this on, Dan? Can you give me a little? There we go. So you, you're looking, and I'll just play. Notice what grace I'm not excelling in. Did you find it? He doesn't say. He doesn't say, this is how you excel in the grace of giving. There's three steps. Pastors always got three-point sermons with three steps. This is how you do it. What is grace? Let me take you back to the law. The law shows us what to do. Grace gives us the ability to do it. Now, I wish that I was... I wish that I had simplified that a long, 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 long time ago because I can't believe that I'm this old and been doing this now for this long and never had a nice, concise statement like that. But as I was reading and learning from somebody else, somebody put that in a nice, pithy statement. The law shows us what to do. Grace gives us the ability or the power to do it. So the law teaches tithing. The law teaches don't kill your neighbor. Don't cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's stuff. Honor your mom and dad, right? We agree with all that, right? Has any of that changed? Right? We still agree with all that. It's funny how we kind of pick and choose under the law what we still think is cool. I mean, again, I'm glad you're not bringing in goats and bullocks and stuff like that. It's going to get messy in here not, and a little smelly. But we don't have a problem with honor your father and mother and don't steal and don't covet and don't lust and don't this and don't that. And that same Old Testament law says tithe. Oh, 10%, my goodness, that just seems like a lot of money. You know, even proportionally speaking, it seems like a lot of money. So we choose not to do that. But grace gives us the ability to do it. The Bible clearly teaches tithing even though it's under the old covenant. 
But now we have the Spirit of God and the grace of God working in us saying, look, here's the guideline. Here's, here's where I want you to begin. I want you to begin at 10%. And you may not think that you can do that, but my grace will make it possible. Just like where sin abounds, grace does abound that much more. Grace abounds in every aspect of your life. Do not limit the grace of God just to salvation. Live a grace-filled life. As, you, as the Corinthians, in knowledge and speech and all of those things, also excel in giving. Don't separate it because it's the, the area that might be most difficult for you. Grace always takes us beyond what the law says. So the law says 10, tithe, but grace says, you know what, but you will have an ability to even go beyond that should you choose. Even under the Old Testament, they had the first tithe, the second tithe, and the third tithe. Even under the Old Covenant, without the Spirit of God within them, the Israelite nation was challenged sometimes to do even more. Those of us living under grace should accept the challenge and run with it. It's 11.55. Let me give you some further teaching, some principles from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that will help you. Next week, I'm going to wrap this up with sowing, reaping and sowing. And I'm going to jump back into 2 Corinthians 9. But go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. And again, you may already know this, but there may be some of you in the room that don't know this. The Apostle Paul instructs the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week. Sunday is our, our first day. On the first day of the week, give or, or store up in keeping with your income. In other words, the emphasis is proportional. A tithe is 10%. That's the neat, cool thing about a tithe. Is whether it's on 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or a million, it's proportional. The idea, the idea is that the sacrifice is somewhat equal. On the first day of the week, store up in keeping with your income. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 11, again, in keeping with the income according to your means. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 12, the gifts are acceptable according to what one has, not what one doesn't have. And this is why we talked about the debt thing. For many of us, we're not going to be able to get where God wants us to go with our giving until we deal with the debt thing. Because some of us are buried in debt. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 5, look at me. Just stare at me, okay? 2 Corinthians 9 and 5 says this, don't give grudgingly. If you're miserable about it, it's making you grumpy, keep it. Keep it. Don't give it. Probably haven't heard a pastor say that, eh? Seriously, because there's nothing in it for you between you and God. Spiritually, there's nothing in it. If you can't give willingly, if you can't, if you can't, let me, let me, let me, I don't know if this helps. I, I, you know, I know I use a lot of personal family illustrations. I really don't mean it to make it about me, but, but here's the thing. You know how you love to bless your kids, right? Hey, moms and dads, those of us that are a little bit older, you're lo you love blessing your kids. Financially, even you love blessing your kids. Your kids are starting off in the tough spot. Mom and dad sit down, or if you're a single parent, you, you, you just think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to help them out, Right? I'm going to help them out, whether it's $100 or $500 or $1,000 or something more. But you know that it's important, 
uh, you know that is going to meet an important need and you're happy to do it and you give them the cash or you write them the check or you e-transfer it to them you know where I'm coming from right you e-transfer it to them and you say you know what and, and you're happy to do it and you don't think about it you're happy to do it in fact you actually get a, a little good something inside right because you're blessing your kids that's that kind of attitude should be when, when we're given to the kingdom work to the Lord's work is that we're happy to do it because I know what's doing good I know what's doing kingdom things right whether you're giving to tithing to your church or you're supporting a child on the missions field or, or you're sending money to help feed either somebody locally or somebody further away I mean that's not why we do it but but give cheerfully or don't give you know what store it up for your retirement And then next week, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, sowing. Because the Bible clearly teaches us, you reap what you sow. If you sow nothing, you're going to reap. Can we put Toy Story up? Where can your giving go? Buzz Lightyear. To infinity and beyond. There's no way I'm not using that slide. Let's pray.